we have the Arizona Town Hall coming up later this month, the State Town Hall. And we are so fortunate and blessed to have three incredible guests on the line today. First, Miss Tara Jackson with the Arizona Town Hall president. Tara, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you, Marcus. Good to be here. Thanks for being here. And Holly Figueroa with Blue Cross Blue Shield Health Choice of Arizona. She is the tribal liaison. Holly, how is your day going? Happy 2022. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year, everyone. Doing great. Looking forward to this new year and getting some things back, getting in gear and getting things going with a lot of new changes happening. So yeah, doing good. Thanks. And last but not least, he's with the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. He's a regional manager and he might sound a little familiar to many of our podcast audience, Mr. John Ford. John, it's great to see you on the other side of the table. I'm back. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the town hall on January 24th. So let's dive into it. Arizona Town Hall is kicking off later this month. This is the 113th town hall. Is that right, Tara? That is right. And another thing is that this year will be our 60th year in existence. That is impressive. Five more years and you will be able to qualify for Medicare. As <laughs> so for those of us who haven't participated in Arizona Town Hall, or maybe we've just kind of heard of it in the backdrop, give us a flavor of what is Town Hall all about? What is the purpose of it? And what's its secret sauce? Well, first, maybe I'll address the purpose. The purpose is just to make all of our lives better, whether as individuals, our communities, our state, to solve problems creatively in a way that builds communities, connections, and where we just come up with better answers to really the most difficult, sticky questions that come up every day for us. The secret sauce with every good secret sauce is a combination of really important ingredients. The first one is fact-based research. You can't have a good conversation if you don't have good facts. So we start every topic with fact-based background document, In this instance, John Ford was one of the editors of that document, so I'm sure you'll hear a little bit more about that from him. And then also it's about getting diverse people together where all perspectives are equally valued. Out of that come incredibly creative ideas as well as important connections. Then we develop consensus using our secret weapon, if you will, for our secret sauce, which is our recorders. These are professionals who volunteer their time and who are trained to look for where to find consensus. And they come up with these amazing statements out of a conversation that you may feel like is going all over the place, but they are trained to look for how can we take 20 different ideas from 20 different parts of the state with 10 to 20 different political perspectives and find out where there's commonality so that we can move forward together and solve the problem. And together, that's the secret sauce. In these times, particularly, that seems like such a heavy lift to be able to bring people together and build consensus. Give us a historical perspective. Arizona Town Hall has been around now for going on 60 years. Do you see durability in that process? Is it something that has adapted over time? And if so, how? That's a lot of questions at once, so I'll I'll see if I can answer them all. Do I see durability? Absolutely. Probably even more important or as important of durability is necessity. 
the town hall process that started back in 1962 when Arizona was a much smaller state and people knew each other more, got together more, even if they didn't agree, but they knew that they had to work together if they wanted this state to prosper and to reach its full potential. And so they came up with this process and it's been developed, refined over the years. Some things stay the same because they work. And then there are some aspects of what we do that have adapted to the times as they must. The most clear example of that is really the last almost 24 months of adapting to being not able to come in person. An integral part of how the town hall has worked over these years and bringing very different people together to solve problems is having them in person in the same room for long periods of time, hashing out and working through these sticky issues. We have adapted that process to a a virtual programming. It still works very well. In fact, there's some lessons we've learned from it that will continue even when we get to that point where we can once again freely put 30 plus people in the room and keep them there for eight to 10 hours. I hope one day that will happen because I'm really looking forward to that. As do we. But as we were talking about before we actually aired this, the core ingredient is dialogue within Arizona Town Hall. So, so long as that dialogue can occur, Town Hall too can occur. And to that point, there are a number of different issues that have been discussed in Arizona Town Hall throughout the past years. This year's topic is creating vibrant communities. John, Holly, Tara, when you think about vibrant communities, what comes to the top of your mind and why is this such an important topic for Arizona Town Hall to discuss? I think, especially when you think about the last, again, almost two years, that when it comes to a vibrant community, it's a community that looks out for all those within the community and strives to allow them to reach their maximum potential. So whether it is a five-year-old who's just moved from another state or another country, or it's the senior citizen, or it's someone just starting their professional career. How do we come together to really maximize the positive potential of everyone within that community? And one more thing with respect to community that I I wanna bring up that came out of some of the community town halls that we had on this topic is this concept from many participants who said a, a community is not just a zip code or a geographic area, that in fact, some communities define themselves more by their shared and lived experiences than their zip code. So looking out for communities of all types, it might also be historically marginalized communities. How do we maximize their potential? Or it might be communities of interest. How do we maximize their potential? So that would be my start, but I can't wait to hear what John and Holly have to say When I think of vibrant communities, for me, I'm not from here. I didn't grow up here, but my roots are here. I I come from Hopi land, which is Northeast Arizona. When I think of a vibrant community, I think of equity. I think of access to food, healthcare, clean water, education, technology. I think of all of these things. I think of creating spaces for young people, our next generation, to be able to learn and be safe in their communities, whether we're talking about 
cultural groups or cultural communities, which then brings me to the cultural humility piece, which is a lot of what I loved about this year's book chapter that we we put together, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But it's really having a sense of belonging, having a community that fosters prosperity and education and equity. So when I think of a vibrant community, I think of that, the culture, whether, you know, whatever that culture is, whether it's music or museums or your own tribal culture, your Hispanic culture, we have such a great state that has a lot of people from different cultural backgrounds that call Arizona their home. And so I think this group really acknowledges that and understands that. And I I really love that we're really working to support Arizonans in creating communities that they feel like they belong to and that accepts them for who they are. So that's what I would say a vibrant community would be when I think about vibrant communities, for sure. Tara and Holly just completely, frankly, covered the whole waterfront. I will only add this. It's in the word. If you can't feel it when you say vibrant communities, if you can't feel vibrancy, then you know you don't have a vibrant community. And I think that a big component of what Holly said and Tara said is that the capacity for the communities to be able to define it themselves is really important. A little bit of background. When Vitalist originally pitched this idea to town hall, it was for the idea of healthy communities, more broadly defined than just healthcare, but healthy communities nonetheless. And the feedback from town hall was, no, people are going to connote health. And what you're really asking us to do is seek a higher order of well-being in the community. And so we think it should be vibrancy. And I think town hall was dead on with that. John, you mentioned, was it two years ago, three years ago? It's usually decided a couple of years in advance because you have to have the time to do the research and all the other work to build up to the conversations And this particular topic was pitched twice, two years in a row, and and the first time came close but didn't get the, the number one vote. And sometimes that's what happens with topics is that they grow and develop or suddenly become the topic everyone wants to talk about. It might have been 2018, maybe summer of 2018 is when it was selected. I think the one thing we can agree upon is that it was pre-COVID times. Oh, yeah. Heads nod. What I remember from that day, and as self-serving as this sounds being a, a, an employee of Vitalist Health Foundation, I remember going to the hotel. I remember being in that ballroom. I remember sitting around a table of other colleagues from various industries. And I remember seeing John Ford get on that stage and pitch healthy communities, which eventually turned into vibrant communities. And at the beginning of the presentation, there were some people at my table who were paying attention, some not. But by the end of the presentation, John, people at my table, every single one of them, their heads were nodding up and down. Their eyes were a gap, just big old eyes. And they were talking to each other, basically noting, yes, yes, this is something we need to discuss. Tell us a little bit about what was in that original pitch. This is really important to me personally. And I think it's always been important to Vitalist's approach as well, which is you can't present just facts. You can't present just data and you can't just tell stories. But if you tell stories with data, you can usually stir up a pretty good amount of interest and you can usually stir up a pretty good conversation. It's one of the strengths of Vitalist all throughout its history is convening folks and being in that position to tell stories with data. 
And that was the opportunity we had at Town Hall that day, was to tell stories with data, to talk about the different aspects of healthy communities, which again, as we said, ended up being vibrant communities, but really opening up that discussion and that thought process. I think the idea that Vitalist was trying to bring to Town Hall at the time was actually a path that Town Hall was already on, which was at the very beginning, Town Hall said, we're gonna do a Town Hall on education and we're gonna do a Town Hall on healthcare and we're gonna do a Town Hall on water. And what Town Hall has evolved to is we're gonna do more broadly based discussion so that we're not in one vertical. We're in multiple places and we're looking at the aspects of how all those things interweave. And that was a key part of the pitch that day too. In that case, it was, how do we look at health more holistically? How does town hall have a statewide conversation that is more holistic than one second? So I think that was a big part of it. I think the other part of it was that combination of storytelling and data and using that as an opportunity to start a conversation that really sparked a memory. John, you mentioned the importance of focusing on multiple issues, being in multiple places, I think was the language that you used. Speaking of being in multiple places, this Arizona town hall also hosted a series of smaller community town halls. Why not have just one sole statewide event, Tara? Why go out to individual communities to host smaller community town halls as well? Originally, for most of its time in existence, the Arizona Town Hall had just one statewide event on the topic. We changed that. It's been a, just a little over five years ago now. And here was the reason. We wanted to reach more people and bring in more voices and more diverse voices so that we were truly as much as possible representing the voice of all Arizonans. So that sometimes means that you have to take the process to them. It is not everyone who can take a couple of days out of their work life and then also have the funds to be able to go attend a statewide conference like this. Usually that involves a certain segment of the population. And frankly, that's not where you're going to get the best solutions or the best input. As an example, a couple of years ago, our topic was criminal justice. And I know for me, the most powerful and most insightful information was from community town halls we did inside the prison system. You're in prison, you're not going to be able to go attend a conference for several days. Yet, whose voice and perspective is most valuable in determining what we need to do to change that system? So the, this concept of community town halls really arose out of the idea that the best answers to whatever problems our state faces come from bringing all the parties to the table or bringing the table to those parties wherever they are. And I feel like that's a critical aspect of including an equity lens to this work, that you're focused on bringing in a diverse collection of voices as much as possible to represent the plurality of, of voices in the state of Arizona. And you're not just focused on representatives, organizations who are representing the voices of communities who are being affected. You're actually reaching out ideally to those communities directly. In the actual report, I think it's the first major section of the report kicks off with a, a section on equity. And it talks about the various voices that need to be included. Holly, John, when you started going through the report, why kick it off with equity? I don't think we had a choice. It was very clear that if we were gonna have an all-encompassing conversation, 
we had to start with what's at the root of preventing that conversation from happening. If we're gonna have something where we're gonna talk in depth about vibrancy, I don't know how we can ignore equity. And so it just became clear that it needed to be a leading chapter. Now, just to be clear, the other idea of the report was to make sure that equity made it into every chapter. But to introduce those concepts early on for the reader, and just in case somebody was reading it in order, <laughs> which not everybody does, and that's fine, we thought it was really important to have it there. You know, you're talking about a foundational concept of a vibrant community is inclusion. If you don't have that, you're never going to have a vibrant community. And when we look at the report that came out, there's 15 different chapters, I believe. And when I look at them, there are two chapters that are solely dedicated, one to a specific population and two to a specific type of geographic region. The geographic region is rural communities. And the one specific population that is called out, at least in having their own chapter, are tribes and native Arizonans. Holly, you were one of the key authors in that section. What was the thinking behind including a chapter that was dedicated solely to tribal communities? When I was approached on the idea and the concept of having this chapter specific to our tribal communities was very refreshing. Right now, especially because of the pandemic, there were so many things happening in Indian country across the country, but then also in our state. It was really important also to understand and acknowledge the people of this land, the first people, and bring an acknowledgement to that really understanding that everything here in the state sits on the land of the first people who were part of this land and has now evolved into what it is in Arizona. Yet we still have 22 sovereign tribes in our state who are, if you think about it, are like these little tiny countries within a state. They're all very different. They're all very unique. They're all very special. And they all have their own governments. They have their own structures. They have many different partners that they work with across the federal government, state government, and then also in their own communities. So it's really important, one, to acknowledge, for sure, these 22 tribal nations and understand how those tribal nations work, understand their uniqueness, also understand their resources and the contributions that they make to the cities and towns that surround them. And so it was really important to have that understanding because a lot of the folks who participate in town hall come from businesses, agencies, organizations from across the state. And so there's an understanding of what it means to be a good tribal partner. And in doing so, I have to understand what is the Hopi nation or Hopi tribe like? What are their issues? What are their priorities? Versus what is Tohono O'odham nation addressing across their reservation? But also what are they addressing along with state and federal government issues? So it was really important to bring forth that understanding, understand social determinants of health, that are being addressed within their own communities. And so it was amazing. I worked with Joan Tamichi, who is from the U of A. She's also from the Hopi Nation. And so it was really an honor to work alongside her and Miriam as well. And then also we had Debbie Nez also who contributed. So it was just an amazing project to 
bring forth all the data because I'm also one of those data nerds because the data tells the story and it supports the story. So it's really good to have all four of us come together and pull that data together around education. Some folks don't understand that the Bureau of Indian Education has schools on the reservation. Public schools also are on the reservation. And then we also have tribally funded schools as well. So all of those have very different programs, requirements, policies, same thing, law enforcement, healthcare. So it was really important to provide that information so that we could be good tribal partners at Blue Cross Blue Shield Health Choice Arizona. It's very important for us to be knowledgeable and be really good partners with the tribes that we serve as well. So, I mean, gosh, that was probably one of the best projects in my career and time, and I will always be thankful for that opportunity. I really hope that people who read that chapter have a good understanding, or at least it's intriguing enough for them to say, tell me more, what what else do I need to know about tribal communities? But also understanding, even though we have 22 tribes, we still have, I'd say, over 40 tribes that are represented from other tribal communities across the country. These tribal members make Arizona their home as well. So it's not just Arizona, it's all of our first peoples of the country that some call Arizona their home. So it was definitely a highlight of my career, and and I'm so thankful for that opportunity, but I hope that it's meaningful and effective for people who actually do get the opportunity to read that section. And with apologies to all the other authors of the report who are all fantastic in their own right, I would have to say this is absolutely the highlight of the report. Holly and Miriam and Joan did such an amazing job. We have heard not only through this report, but also through a number of different meetings where the report has been excerpted, just the tribal chapter, Mm -hmm. how this stands alone as possibly the greatest summation to date of what the tribal situation is in Arizona. And so if you do nothing else, explore this chapter, because if we're talking about vibrancy, this may be one of the most complex equations for vibrancy, which would be life on tribal lands in Arizona, for all the reasons that you can guess that have to do with things that start with equity, It is a tremendous chapter, so much so that when the three of them turned it in, I turned to Tara and I said, hey, you know how the chapters are supposed to each be about four or five, maybe six pages? This one's going to be 15 and it's going to be worth every single page. And it was. So thank you, Holly. Thank you, Joan. And thank you, Miriam, for such an amazing job that you did. It really goes to speak to the importance of reaching out to local communities, that having a statewide event, it makes a lot of sense. But that is I imagine that the statewide event and some of the recommendations and the insights that come out of it, those are kind of the common denominator, the common threads that stretch across communities. I know that when we did our recent podcast with other tribal partners about the wheel of healthy tribal communities, that's exactly how they described that wheel. They said, these are the common elements that regardless of specific tribes, you can see some sort of an essence of each one of these elements that are important throughout each tribe. But each tribe is also going to have more of some elements and less of others. And there might be additional elements that we haven't included in here. So there's a comparative to reach out to individual tribes, individual communities to better understand the issues on the ground. That wheel took two plus years to make. And Ali and Miriam and Joan did their work in about eight weeks, I think, or less. I can't remember. So just an incredible amount of work. And Marcus, I wanted to point out too, you mentioned 
the rural chapter. That chapter was specifically put in there for that exact same reason. Here is a much more complex part of the equation than just talking about Phoenix or Tucson or Yuma or Flagstaff. This is rural Arizona, has the same sort of broad quilt-like character. You cannot compare Safford to Heber. They're two completely different places. And yet there are some commonalities of challenges that a lot of folks who are in the policy world or who are in, quite frankly, some of the more higher level decision-making areas, they're not familiar with those things. And so making sure that those voices were included in this report was really, really important. So I'm curious, in all these community town halls, what were the aha moments that you experienced? So a couple of things to keep in perspective. We had well over 30 of these community town halls. If we include future leader town halls, I think it was over 50. And around 1,900 diverse people throughout participating in these discussions. So a lot of different discussions going on. And this all happened as the pandemic was getting started. So the aha moments were really kind of this overlay of this topic with the pandemic, because the aha moment is that healthcare is not a separate issue from the economy, that education and the whole reading, writing, arithmetic part of education is not separate and distinct from the mental health of our children, that the tribal and rural communities are closely connected to and impact everything that happens in Maricopa County and Pima County, that we cannot move forward and create vibrancy in our state if we don't realize that not only are we all connected, did the pandemic not show that, you know, more than John or I ever could have in the background report, but also that all of these different areas must be considered in a collective approach. Education and health are intimately tied transportation and health are intimately tied. The economy, so often people will just talk about the economy and business. Well, as the pandemic showed, if you've got a major healthcare situation going on, your economy is going to suffer. If you are not able to get children to school and quality education, you're not going to be able to prepare the next generation of workers that Arizona needs. So I think the aha moments were happening all over the place, realizing that we must consider our geographical areas as well as these different topics together as one, as complicated as that may be, it's essential. And that is a radical idea, right? Because we're not in our heads. I feel like a lot of our audience is probably nodding their heads right now. It makes sense. And then you run it up against systems that are designed in a one-off individual issue by individual issue basis. You run into a department that is specifically for economic security. You run into a state agency that is specifically responsible for public health. You run into an education department that's solely responsible for education. And it takes a lot of work to get those individual sectors who have been designed as individual sectors to start coming together to talk to each other. John, Holly, were there other aha moments that you had in participating in any of these community town halls? There were times when it felt as though people were not reaching deep enough into the discussion. And those were the moments where I got nervous because what's really important about having a conversation about vibrancy is getting down to the root causes. Without fail, eventually, 
if not from the very start, it depended on the group, depended on the town, the smaller town hall. But at some point during that conversation, it got to the point where people understood that there were deeper root causes and that in order to work on those deeper root causes, we were gonna to have to make some systems change. We were gonna to have to call some things into question that had been in place for a long time. The kinds of things you just talked about, Marcus, the people in these groups, after starting the conversation, sometimes a little bit roughly and a little bit not quite tuned in, they came to the conclusions that we had hoped that they would, which is, hey, if we want something different, if we want something more vibrant than what we have, we have to look at everything. We have to look at systems. We have to look at policies. We have to look at the environments in which our communities are existing and figuring out ways in which those can be better. Otherwise, vibrancy is a very difficult task because you cannot ask one person to be more vibrant, at least not more than a few hours. If we're gonna have a vibrant community, it has to be supported by all systems, all environments, all policies. It has to be supported by the community itself feeling vibrant. Yeah, when was the last time you heard of a friend, family, or colleague saying, I feel really vibrant today because I went and got my annual checkup. Exactly. It's important, but it takes a little bit more than that. Holly, anything stick out to you in any of the uh, community town halls you're able to attend? Yeah, I would say, you know, this was, I'm kind of new to all of this. So it's definitely been a huge learning experience and it's been such a great experience. I think, you know, the the town halls that I was able to sit in or participate on, just really uh, the aha moment for me is, I guess, because my work is all tribal. And so I guess we get kind of just immersed into that natural world. And so my aha moment was, wow, there's, there's a lot that people don't really truly understand about tribal communities and really opened my eyes like, okay, however I can help with this education and awareness, however I can help other agency partners to really understand what it means to be a good tribal partner. And I appreciated the young leader town halls as well, because I appreciated the opportunity to plant seeds for these new leaders coming out of their post-secondary education, whatever that might be, because there's so much cross in sectors, you know, whether it's education, whether it's business, whether, you know, there's all kinds of intersections that that knowledge, whatever they take away from those things are going to help, whether it's professional or whether it's personal, it was just opening my eyes to, wow, there's still some work to be done. And there's still some understanding and misconceptions and perceptions that folks have of our tribal communities. So, and, and just the, the amount of work that happens in facilitating and coordinating and getting all of this information out to communities, to education. It was just amazing. I think I attended maybe like three or four and actually spoke at a couple, but it was just amazing at the level of understanding that Arizona Town Hall has of the importance of understanding we're all unique, we're all diverse professionally and in kind of like the circles that we're in, you know, our professions, whether it's politics or whether it's looking at social determinants of health, understanding experiences that our community members are experiencing, whether it's, okay, we don't always remember that 
there are a homeless population in the Valley area that we take for granted. We get to sit in a building where there's air conditioning a lot of times. So bringing those things to the people who can help create positive change, who can affect policy is really amazing. So I think the whole thing for me in my participation in Arizona Town Hall has just kind of overall been (laughs) eye-opening. But I think for me and the work that I do within the tribal realm was also very eye-opening. There's still some work that needs to be done. And what better place and what better group of people to work with and getting some of that done. So I would say everything. I think every experience that I've had thus far has just been phenomenal. I'm really excited. I'm even more inspired and motivated to keep going forward. I'm inspired and motivated, and I'm looking forward to attending this year's town hall. Tara, ground us in what participants can expect in this upcoming town hall, which kicks off officially on the 24th of January. But I know that on the 20th and the 21st prior to that, there's a couple of presentations that people can attend. So ground us in what they can expect throughout the dialogue. And then what is one hope that you have that can come to fruition by the end of this year's town hall? First, I'll ground you. Now, this year, we had to move once again to an all-virtual statewide town hall. We've never done an all-virtual statewide town hall, although we have become, I'd say, almost experts on facilitated conversation in the last 24 months virtually. So what we've done is we have really compressed the time that participants spend discussing because it will be on Zoom. So we're getting right to the meat of the issues. There's not the warm-up. We've had the warm-up with all the community conversations we've had, and we'll be sharing that information. It's actually already on our website, the reports from all these different community gatherings, the reports from those future leaders town halls. I will tell you, if you haven't attended one, that is always an aha moment for the quote adults who attend them because they are amazing. They come up with some of the most insightful, best ideas of any of the discussions that we have every single year we will immediately get participants into the conversation. And we spent this last weekend developing the questions and we'll refine those just slightly more, but they are things like, what are the impediments to coordination and cross-sector collaboration that prevent a community from thriving? How can those impediments be removed? What do our elected leaders and others need to know to optimize and maintain the vibrancy of our communities? For example, It might be realizing the connection of these pieces. It might be truly getting that if you are not creating an equitable environment where everyone can thrive, then no one is going to reach their maximum potential. It might be understanding and appreciating the both historical and present importance of our tribal nations. So there is a lot that comes simply from the discussion, including the reports that are created from it. And those reports are provided to many elected and other leaders for years to come. But also what comes out of simply being a part of this discussion is a deeper understanding and connection to other people in the state. The first time I attended a a statewide town hall, this will date me, was back in 1994. I was pregnant with my first child. That's why I remember that. Now, I had traveled all across the state as a visitor, as a tourist. I thought I knew Arizona's rural communities fairly well. 
and a little bit of its tribal communities. But being in a room hearing rural representatives talk about rural Arizona made me realize I did not understand it. And I took away a whole different level of appreciation and knowledge that not only informed the work I did from then on, but also allowed me to be a better partner, if you will, with rural communities in the work that I did, which at that time was as a practicing attorney. And so I think one of the things that's important to remember for anyone who attends a statewide town hall, there's a great report that comes out of it. And a lot of things come from that. But even if you never had a report, if nothing else came out of it, the experience of going and learning and connecting with people who are outside of your circles and to develop in a safe space an understanding of those different connections that you can take forward with you back to your circles will in itself have a tremendous positive impact on the future of our state and our communities. If I could hope, oh, I have so many, Marcus. One, I guess, hope that I would have if I can really dream big, is that every single person in this state has a true understanding of the need of how connected we all are and the power that can come from realizing that and acting from that in a way where we are respecting differences and creating the space to work together. If we all just came from that filter, what a difference it would make especially in times that have been the most politically polarized I have ever experienced in my entire life, where so many of us are operating from filters of how am I different from someone else in front of me, as opposed to how are we the same and how can we work together? If I could just change in my mind the filter that everyone approached how to solve problems and how to interact with each other, I think that would transform everything else. And let Arizona be the example, not only for the rest of the nation, but even the world, on how we as the human race can move forward to address the biggest issues that, that face us. So there's dreaming big. That was fantastic. John, Holly, what are some of your hopes from this year's Arizona Town Hall? My dream would be that we would see more positive partnering and relationships built between tribes and government. This past year and a half, two years, was definitely a realization as to where a lot of the gaps were and really hoping to see that strengthened, whether it's through town hall information or the chapter that would be my hope is to have Arizona be a model state for partnering with tribal communities in many different areas, whether it's social determinants of health or healthcare or business partnerships. I think tribes have a lot to bring to the table if we can just build those partnerships and relationships and that it takes time, but it's definitely doable. And I think we're on that path right now with the work that's happening, but that would be my hope to see that strengthen throughout the state, to see our tribal communities prosper and benefit also from the partners, our non-tribal partners, for sure. 
there's a lot of work to be done and, and, you know, we're, we're realizing that we're acknowledging that. So let's move forward and see what we can accomplish in this next year or two. So that's my hope is to really see those connections strengthen and, and happen. Yeah. I would say my hopes are very much the same as Tara's and Holly's, but I will add this. My further hopes are based on what we've had to go through and what we should be able to get out of it. And by that, I'm referring to the pandemic in particular. We learned during the pandemic that it turns out the things we thought we couldn't do, we could because we had to. Rules got broken. Policies got changed overnight. These things can happen and they should happen more and more often. Where a policy or a system stands in the way of a community being vibrant, we need to challenge that. And there's no reason why it can't change because we do and we have changed these things in the past when we needed to. For this town hall to help elevate some of that and to be creative regarding those ideas that some rules got broken really easily and we can break them again if we need to or some policies or some ways of being in the community, that I think would be really, really my highest hope for the statewide town hall coupled with the fact that this pandemic is bringing billions of dollars coming into Arizona through various pieces of legislation, through various funding opportunities. This is a, I can't tell you how many times we've all heard this. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to do better, to do better by our communities. And so I think the town hall has an opportunity to put a stamp on that. That when folks come together to this statewide town hall, if they think about those two things, And typically, by the way, it's not a good idea to have a town hall based on asking for money to do things because there's not money, but now there is. And so I think it's a really interesting moment for a statewide town hall to step forward and say, some of these rules need to be broken. And some of these things need investment that haven't had investment for a long, long, long time. Let's make it happen. I wrote, see the connections, build new partners and do what needs to be done. Before we sign off, are there any other things that you would want our audience to know about with regard to Arizona Town Hall or any of the surrounding opportunities of Town Hall before we sign off? If you guys thought any part of this conversation was interesting and you want to be part of it, then you owe it to yourself to be part of the January 24th statewide Town Hall. Figure out how to clear your calendar, go to aztownhall.org and register for this event and be part of it, have your voice heard, contribute to the future. Way to go, John. I could not have said it better. And since it's all virtual, the cost is only $50 and we do have scholarships available as well because again, we want diverse voices. The time is also compressed. It's three hours in the morning for three days. So would love to have a lot of diverse voices weighing in. But if you can't do that, some of the reports that have already been generated, some of the ideas that people have shared in the community and the future leader town halls about the actions that they will take are incredibly inspiring. So I would say, take away that if a challenge or an issue seems so big, you think, how could I even begin to think I could solve it? You can by just taking one action, whatever it is. And the reports that we have are inspiring with the types of actions people committed to take, whether they were a high school student or maybe a mayor, whatever they might be, the variety of actions that we all can take to create a vibrant community 
are all in those reports. And remember that one of them, perhaps one of the most powerful is to practice the art of finding what you have in common with the person across from you instead of what you have different. Practice the art of finding a way to connect with people who may look or act very differently from you. And once you start to establish those connections and that understanding, you'll have a huge impact on how we all move forward. Holly, any final insights, requests, words of wisdom that you'd like to offer to our audience before we sign off? I would say cultural humility has has really been part of the work that I do. And that, that goes along with what Tara has already said. Taking the opportunity to learn about one another, to open ourselves up to understanding the other person so that we can then have these fruitful, meaningful conversations and how we can come together and make a better community, a more colorful community, a safer community is really what I do with Town Hall, but also in the work that I do. I think this opportunity to gain this information, to hear what's happening, to be part of the change is really what that is all about. I would say cultural humility at the foundation is an ingredient for success for sure. I think that that's what this group fosters. And I'm really, again, just thankful to be part of it and look forward to how we can really work on creating that throughout the state. Tara Jackson, Holly Figueroa, and John Ford, cannot thank you enough for being a part of this, not only for being a part of this little podcast, but also for the work that you are doing within communities, with communities, and with the state of Arizona. Truly inspiring words truly inspiring actions, and we look forward to this year's Arizona Town Hall.